There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Freelance Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, we've had some pretty awesome guests recently. Absolutely. Last week, we had Mark Eibel from Russell Investments, Chris Younger the week before, and we've been spending a lot of time focusing on macroeconomic trends, talking about things like inflation, interest rates, supply demand, things like that. Right on. And one of the current macro trends is to look at reducing the carbon footprint in the world. I'm sure you've heard people talk about this recently. I have. As such, there's a big push on electric vehicles coming to market. And this is really interesting stuff. Is At the same time, as many governments are imposing strict reductions in gas-burning vehicles, you have OPEC that says that the demand for oil is going to increase by as much as 25% over the next 10 to 12 years. Yeah, crazy. It doesn't make sense. So that increase in demand isn't being fueled by more vehicles. It's being fueled by developing countries. And the energy input that goes into a developing nation far exceeds the demand for oil in North America for vehicles. So it got us thinking about electric vehicles. And we're going to spend a few episodes talking through this area. And I should start this off by saying I'm neither for nor against electric vehicles at this point. I don't want anybody to think that we're doing these, we're going to do a little mini-series on this, with any sort of an angle. We just wanted to look at it. That's right. And I think electric vehicles are, not only are they here to stay, but they're going to be a growing part of the entire motor vehicle market. And thanks to, you know, some government regulations and government guidelines, I think it would benefit everybody to sort of understand what they are. There's a lot of different types that we're going to talk about and see what the benefits are. Well, and the question we might get is, why are we talking about electric vehicles on a podcast that is focused on investing? But I guess if you think of it this way, you think of, well, all of those electric vehicles are being made by automobile manufacturers, which are, for the most part, publicly traded companies whose share price is impacted by the future earnings of those companies. Correct. And the future earnings of those companies are going to be impacted by this conversion to electric vehicles. I'm finding a link here for us. There's certainly the link from the investment side. There's also the link from the personal finance side. This was actually triggered by a discussion with a client who was saying, well, gee, when do I buy an electric vehicle? Should I buy it or should I lease it? What are the benefits of doing that? And and that does have an impact on personal finance. And by the way, as I started looking into this, it is quite an interesting topic and it's not exactly straightforward as you might think. Well, and there's going to be people that are very pro-electric vehicles and people are very anti-electric vehicles. And as I say, we're not here to try to sway anybody in either direction, maybe just to get people to think about it a little bit. Absolutely. Because, well, the only one thing I can say for sure, and that is that probably in 10 or 12 years, we'll all be driving some type of electrified vehicle, whether it's uh, fully electric or some of the other types of vehicles we're going to be talking about. So in this mini-series, we're going to focus on four key things. We're going to focus on the types of vehicles, the costs of owning and maintenance, 
government incentives, and then try to tackle the idea of leasing versus buying. And you could take that out to just not just electric vehicles. It's almost the same question of renting versus buying a home. And leasing versus buying is always one of those choices that we make in buying a vehicle, whether it's electrified or not. But there may be some certain things that are more relevant in this case. So let's dive in. And so as I mentioned earlier, we're all going to be driving some form of electric vehicle 10 years from now. On December 21st, the Liberal government published draft regulations requiring that all new passenger vehicles and light trucks sold in Canada after 2035 be electric zero emission vehicles. 2035, it's 12 years from now. It's not a long ways away. It's not a long ways away, and time will tell if they can achieve that target. Although, wait, Greg, it's not a long ways away, but that is two or three electoral cycles away. True. I always find it's easy for governments to say things like this because the chance of them being in government in 2035 isn't 100%. Exactly. Now, the interesting thing is these rules are going to be phased in gradually, starting with a 20% requirement in 2026. So in just three years, if this legislation goes through, in three years, it would be a requirement that 20% of all new vehicles sold be electric. When we talk about electric or electrified vehicles, there's many different types, and I wasn't even aware of all the different types. So why don't we go through and let's do some educating on the types of vehicles out there. So for lots of reasons, more and more vehicles than ever are hitting Canadian roads with some sort of electrified powertrain. And those could include a full hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, mild hybrid, or full electric vehicle. And in all of those, the principle is basically the same. And those vehicles offload some or all of the work of the conventional combustion engine to a battery-driven motor. Using battery-driven motors to supplement or replace a combustion engine, it's a growing trend. It's sticking around for sure. But as it goes with any emerging or growing technology, the kind of nomenclature of how we refer to these things can be a little bit scary. So let's cut through it. So I'm going to start by talking about hybrid electric vehicles. And that can be called a hybrid. It could be called a full hybrid, self-charging hybrid. And examples of that, probably the one that most people would know the best would be the Toyota Prius. And that's been around for years. I think it's been around for like 10 years. But there's a Hyundai Sonata has a hybrid, Honda Accord hybrid, Toyota Highlander, RAV4, Ford Maverick and Toyota Sienna. So those are all vehicles that are available in a hybrid. I don't even know what a Ford Maverick is. Actually, I have heard of it, but I don't know what it looks like. As you say, the ones that stick out to me are mainly is the Prius, yep. maybe the Highlander. You see yes, you have. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So what's a hybrid vehicle? Well, a hybrid uses combined efforts, both a gasoline engine and a battery-powered electric motor to drive the vehicle. And the work basically is shared between the two types of engines or motors in the most efficient way possible at any given time. So for instance, the electric motor can give the vehicle a boost of power, maybe while merging or climbing a hill, without burning any additional fuel. This vehicle may also be able to drive for brief periods solely on electric power with the gas engine turned off. But most can operate in electric-only mode at very low-speed situations like parking or idling. I've driven a Prius, actually many years ago, a lot of our Standard gas-powered engines do turn off now when you stop. But with the Prius, you'd stop. There'd be no engine sound because the engine is turned off completely. And even with the early stages of acceleration, the gas engine didn't actually kick in yet. But then once you got up to speed, the gas engine was fully operational. So again, the thing with the hybrid is you can, electric only, 
It's very slow speed situations. Now, the power for the electric motor is created by a built-in generator and stored in an onboard battery. And so in a hybrid, all of the power is generated in the vehicle, and so it can't be plugged in to recharge it. So a lot of people that know, okay, well, typical electric vehicles you plug in. In the case of a hybrid, all of that battery power is essentially generated internally. So basically, in a nutshell, in the hybrid, the battery-driven electric motor reduces the workload of the gasoline engine, which cuts down on the amount of fuel consumed. I know people that have hybrids, and we're in a vehicle standard gas engine might use... 10 liters per 100 kilometers of driving, uh, a hybrid might use four, four liters per 100. So it can be quite Pretty dramatic. Yeah, exactly. Many hybrids have driver-selectable modes that can fine-tune it so the driver can get involved in how the engines operate. But for the most part, the process of blending and switching the gasoline and electric power is fully automatic and handled by the computer system in the vehicle. So at any particular moment, the vehicle might be propelled entirely by electricity, entirely by gasoline, or some combination of the two. Because it's, you have a gas engine in the hybrid vehicles, you need to refuel it. But as I say, they use a lot less gas than the typical non-hybrid equivalent vehicle. The Toyota Highlander hybrid versus the regular Highlander would have very different fuel consumption numbers. But there's a big cost on the sticker price between... There can be, for sure. Right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So I think the point of that is that whichever version you choose or choose not to purchase at some point, you're paying for that technology somewhere. Exactly. And because of the added power, like so you do get extra power and torque generated by the electric motor in the hybrid, the performance is typically pretty good, on par, maybe even superior to an equivalent vehicle just with a traditional engine. So overall, the pros of a hybrid, well, it's minimal extra cost when they say compared to a pure internal combustion engine, they do cost more, but it's not a prohibitive extra cost. You don't have to charge them because the charging is all done through driving and there is significantly reduced fuel consumption. The cons would be, well, you still have to use fuel to power the gasoline engine. The electric only driving is limited to relatively slow, low speed situations that I mentioned. And there's not a huge number of model choices beyond the Toyotas. So Toyota really took this with the Prius and then expanded it, but not a lot of the other car makers have gone to the pure hybrids. You got a Ford Maverick. You got your Ford Maverick. Whatever that is. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, the next up is the mild hybrid or MHEV, mild hybrid electric vehicle. So the common name for this one might be mild hybrid or light hybrid. So some examples of this, I actually own an example of this, by the way. Oh. I own a Wagoneer, and it is a gas-powered vehicle that has an electric power plant in its engine to assist in towing. I had no idea. Yeah, and that's why it can tow like 10,000 pounds. But otherwise, would be like uh, various GM e-assist models, some Dodge Ram 1500 trucks with this e-torque, Mercedes-Benz EQ boost models. So what is a mild hybrid? It's basically just sits between a conventional gas vehicle and a full hybrid. So kind of similar to what you just described. But the mild hybrid uses a smaller battery and a motor generator that can both create electricity and help boost the gas engine's output. They can also be used to run some of the auxiliary functions like climate control or the starter generator to reduce the load on the gas engine. So when you, as you say, when you pull up to the light and the car turns off, To save fuel, that's kind of what's kicking in there. 
Yeah, right. So on. the mild hybrid vehicles, they aren't capable of all electric driving. They don't offer the significant fuel savings as a full hybrid, but they basically help with this boost to performance, which is why my vehicle has it. So I like to joke with my family that I basically have an electric vehicle. Sure. It just happens to tow 10,000 pounds. Exactly. And you could fit a small, a very large family in it. (laughs) It's a pretty big vehicle. So when extra power is needed, the motor generator uses stored electricity to apply torque to the engine, which boosts its output without burning additional fuel. So, you know, it seems to me like just what we've gone through already, the what you talked about and the mild hybrid, this might be sort of the sweet spot that a lot of people are looking for if they don't want to give up some of the benefits that they see in their gas-powered vehicles, but they also want to have some electric version of it. It's kind of the almost the best of both worlds, yeah, I would it say. Could right? be. The electric turbocharging occurs when the vehicle's coasting or cruising and the gasoline engine spins the motor generator to create electricity that basically charges the battery. So in this mild hybrid, the gas engine can be turned off to save fuel in situations like coasting down hills or when stopped at traffic lights, right things on. like that. Did you see that there was an electric semi, like a semi truck? I don't remember the name of it. It was a company that went public and their claim to fame was they had these semis that were electrified. It was a fraud. Did you see that? Oh, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, and they had commercials where they had the truck rolling down the highway to mimic driving an electric semi, but all that they had done was towed the truck to the top of the hill and then let gravity take over and then shot the commercial with the truck basically just going down the hill. Crazy. Yeah. (laughs) Things kind of funny. This is what happens with new technologies, right? Well, you definitely have some things that occur. So in a mild hybrid, drivers get reduced fuel consumption and improved power to a lesser degree than a full hybrid, but at a much lower cost because these mild hybrid vehicles are just less complicated. They use smaller batteries, they have fewer complex components, and the primary source for propulsion is gasoline. They don't need to be plugged in or anything like that. I learned something interesting in reading up on this stuff, and that is that a lot of the energy that goes into recharging batteries, whether it's like in a hybrid or a mild hybrid or, or plug-ins that we're going to be talking about, is through what they call regenerative braking. And that's kind of interesting because what happens is when you, and you talked about it a little bit here with mild hybrid, is when you're braking, the electric motor actually disengages, like it's not engaged to driving the wheels. And it actually acts as a generator. So, in fact, the wheels are powering the electric motor by spinning it, even though it's not connected to the wheels. And as a generator, it's generating electricity to recharge the battery. So, in the case of hybrids, it's one of the ways that the batteries stay charged. You know, they say, well, you're driving it and it's recharging. Yeah, it's recharging by essentially spinning the motor and generating electricity. And this regenerative braking is just what happens when you step on the brake and it creates what they call kinetic energy typically would be heat in a typical car, and that heat would just dissipate. Whereas in this case, essentially, that braking is used to charge the battery. So the technology is pretty amazing. You know, it's not that amazing because what you just described was basically my physics classes in grade 12. So I didn't realize that physics would come back into my life. There you go. But there it is. Well, listen, let's move on. Let's talk about the full electric vehicle or what they call a battery electric vehicle, either one. And examples of that would be the one that everybody has heard of, and that's the, all of the various Tesla models. There's four Tesla models, the Model 3, Model X, Model Y, Model S. 
Chevrolet Bolt, Nissan Leaf, Hyundai Ioniq, Ford Mustang Mach-E, Porsche or Porsche, do you call Porsche. it? Porsche Taycan and the Kia Soul electric vehicle. So the electric vehicle, unlike the hybrids and mild hybrids we've been talking about, have no gasoline engine at all. No fuel tank, no exhaust pipe, no engine oil to change. Basically, these machines are at the extreme end of full vehicle electrification. They use a battery-powered electric motor or motors to propel the vehicle all the time, 100% of the time. They're recharged. You plug it into an electric outlet or outlet or a charging station, and that restores the onboard batteries. And so, of course, these batteries are huge, usually built into the floor of the vehicle. And the problem, or it's not a problem, it's just a function of recharging an electric vehicle. It takes considerably longer than refueling a conventional vehicle. So depending on the type of charger, a full battery charge could take several hours if you're doing it in your home, or it could take 20 to 30 minutes if doing it at the high-speed chargers that they're installing now. But you see a lot of these chargers popping up. They're popping up all over the place. They're popping up at gas stations. They're popping up in apartment buildings or downtown office buildings and parkades and things like that. You know what's interesting about that is up until recently, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe that this is correct, that you didn't have to pay to charge your Tesla at a Tesla charging station, but they are now starting to charge or their plans are to start to charge and that they're going to make, there's something about the plug, right? It's a different plug. I don't know. I'm kind of just babbling now. But it's all part of the process and Tesla charging standards have been different than some of the other electric vehicles, but they're now attempting to move to more of a standard charging system so that no matter what you're driving, you can pull up to a charging station and be successful there. A lot of the newer EV models, EV being electric vehicles, have quick charge functions that gives you a large partial battery boost in a short period of time, maybe adding a few hundred kilometers of range in just about 30 minutes. And so these are called high output level three fast charging stations. There's three levels, level one, two, and three. Level one is basically if you just plugged in your car to your basic outlets in your garage, let's say, that's level one. Level two would be installing a 240 volt outlet like for your dryer or your oven. And level three are the commercial size, basically. One of the problems with electric vehicles is the total driving range has been considerably less than a conventional vehicle or a hybrid, even though advancements in the battery technology, we're starting to see EV ranges that are getting up to a level that you would consider reasonable for highway travel. So maybe offering over 500 kilometers of driving range on a single charge. But it does require, when compared to a gasoline-powered engine, it requires you to be mindful of where are the charging stations and plan your trip accordingly. Well, I went to a wedding in Regina a few years ago, and my friend owns a Tesla, and he pulled up to the wedding with a rental car. And I said, well, what's with the rental car? And at the time, he said there weren't enough charging stations between Calgary and Regina. He wouldn't have made it. So yeah. I think that that's being developed. It, but- it is. Yeah, the infrastructure is growing, and that's going to be one of the limiting things on the Canadian government's plan to essentially electrify the roadways, and that is just you need the infrastructure. And if it's not there, people just aren't going to move over. Well, and you know what the worst part of that story is, Greg? What's that? We were in Regina. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, what are you talking about? Regina's awesome. Oh, yeah. Like some of us grew up there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the infrastructure so is growing. The infrastructure is growing. You know, you're starting to see more EV charging stations at airports, hotels, traditional gas stations, rest stops, etc. And that's something that will just continue to grow over time. 
The other thing that's really attractive to many people is the performance, because a lot of these EVs use high torque motors, you know, and I think the Tesla Model S had a pretty remarkable acceleration. They can be fun to drive, they can have great acceleration, good performance, and that kind of thing. One of the downsides is that in extreme weather conditions, whether it's extreme cold or extreme hot, that can really affect the driving range. And so I certainly have to be mindful of that. And I'm sure the technology will be addressing that. So some of the pros of battery electric vehicles, there's certainly there's no exhaust emissions. So environmentally, it's pretty good. Some theoretically better reliability and lower maintenance costs is just fewer moving parts. There's not a lot of fluids to change like there would be in a traditional engine. and Like and horn fluid? Horn fluid, of course, being yeah. one of the big ones. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot less moving parts. And yeah. you can easily recharge at home overnight. So every morning you can get up and the car is fully charged. But what's your home electricity bill? Well, that's the other thing. It's not a zero cost at this point. And we'll talk about it a little bit when you, we get into the costs of electric vehicles. So it's not zero. It's certainly less than the cost of refueling a gasoline engine all the time. But that is a factor. Some of the disadvantages, the upfront purchase prices are definitely higher than the standard gas vehicles. Somewhat limited, but very rapidly growing choices of models. And the public charging infrastructure isn't always there yet. So that's one of the cons right now, but certainly being addressed. Okay. That takes us to range extended electric vehicles. Right on. So there are some electric vehicles like the now discontinued and super cool looking BMW i3. Remember what those look like? Yeah. That have these range extending gasoline engines that act as a generator to recharge the battery. So the range extender is typically used only to power the battery as it runs low, giving drivers the ability to carry on driving without having to stop immediately and recharge. So that's probably a good thing, right? Yeah. So unlike the engine in a traditional hybrid, a range extender is not connected to the vehicle's driveline, which in English means it's not directly responsible for driving the wheels. So in a range extended electric vehicle, the priority is on electric driving and the extender is only used as a backup. So in that, as I say, super cool looking BMW i3, I do think they're one of the neatest looking vehicles out there actually. It does have a two cylinder gasoline engine with it that can add approximately 100 kilometers to the vehicle's range once the battery approaches depletion, which is probably a good thing if you're in an area that doesn't have a lot of charging stations. So these extended EVs, they're just not very common currently. What's the last one we got The last one is something that, you know, when I first heard about these, I thought, well, that's a stupid idea. And the more I look into it, the more I I like the idea of them. And it's the plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. Examples of that, Toyota Prius Prime, the Toyota RAV4 Prime, Jeep Wrangler, 4XE, Kia Sorento, plug-in hybrid electric vehicle, or PHEV, etc. So the plug-in hybrid is a unique vehicle. It's somewhere between a hybrid and a full electric vehicle. And basically, in simple terms, the plug-in hybrid works like a regular hybrid, but the major alteration comes to its battery. And so compared to a regular hybrid, the plug-in hybrid battery has a much higher capacity. In fact, it's so high that you can't fully charge it by the onboard generator. You have to plug it into an electric outlet or a charging station. So basically, it's like a hybrid, but with additional battery capacity so that you can get further all-electric driving. So with a fully charged battery, the plug-in hybrid can typically drive for maybe 25 to 50 kilometers solely on the stored battery power. 
And once that range is used up, the vehicle works like a normal hybrid until it's recharged again. And what that means, and the whole idea of that is that for people that are doing mainly city driving, most people drive under 50 kilometers a day in the city, which means that you could drive 50 kilometers every day entirely on electric power, never touching the gas engine. And only if you were maybe on the highway where you're taking longer trips, would you then start using the gasoline engine. Unlike an electric vehicle, the plug-in hybrid can revert to regular hybrid operation once you've used up the battery and use gasoline and self-generated electricity for hundreds of kilometers of additional driving. With a plug-in hybrid, you get the benefit of all electric motoring on the shorter trips, city trips, and commutes, and you get the full hybrid driving range after that. So even if you're not able to recharge the vehicle for an extended period, it'll still function fully as a conventional hybrid. Charging your plug-in hybrid reduces the fuel use, but it's not mandatory. It's like self-charging to some degree. To some degree. Once you've used up the battery, because it's a larger battery than a hybrid, you can't fully charge it just by driving it. You have to plug it in. But again, as I say, you can get the first 50 kilometers free, essentially, fully electric. Oh, these vehicles are free now? Exactly. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) And so the driving range would be basically typical with a conventional gas-powered vehicle. So the pros are long driving range. You can rely on electric-only power for most commutes in the city. Plug-in hybrids are available on most popular SUVs these days. The downsides may be they're a little bit heavier because they've got two powertrains in the vehicle. The electric-only range is limited. It's better than a hybrid, but not as good as a fully electric. And the price tags can be a little bit higher. They can be more in line with the full battery electric vehicle. So there you go. Those are your types of electrified vehicles. Of course, technology is changing all the time, but when you look into them, some of them can appear quite attractive. And as I say, for me, the plug-in hybrid checks some of the boxes. Whatever floats your boat, right? I appreciate it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, as we started this episode off, this is the beginning of a two- or three-part series. So we're just getting through the foundational part right now, just the types of vehicles. But next episode, we're going to talk about some of the government incentives, and we're going to talk about the costs of owning and maintenance. Just because you have an electric vehicle doesn't mean that there's no maintenance or costs. So we'll get into that next time. Sounds great. All right. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2023.